welcome back to another episode of the Has Been Hoops podcast. It is proudly brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one basketball training facility. Go and raise your game by visiting hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location. Also brought to you by Chris Anstey's very own NBA Tours. What's up with that? Go ahead, Chris. We've done it. I wanted to sponsor something and I thought this would be it. <laughs> no, we thought, we thought we might as well plug it a few times, anyone who listens, anyone who's been on it. It keeps coming up in conversation. So, uh, no, my next one's November this year and it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, as we record this, Game 7 has just been played of the Western Conference, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But there was a bigger tournament this past weekend. Well, there was. The has-beens Great Barrier Reef gold medal winning performance. Chris, you were there. I was not. Team was yourself, Parky, Bridie, Matty Burston, Thalo Green, uh, the godfather himself, Chris Feeney and Mark Bisbee. It's It's a great tournament. Tell it's, us about it's, it. it's such a good one, and it's now the uh, the most participated tournament in has been's history. Uh, that was our fourth one. We've we've won our fourth gold medal. It was a lot of fun. I reckon we win a few gold medals in a few of the off court activities as well. We were, we were strong there again. Um, you missed out, and you know it's fun heading down to the Jack, which is always the tournament hub, and meeting some of the other participants. And the music's always good and. Yeah, we, we had a favourable draw this year. We didn't play a game before 10.30 in the morning. Oh, so that is crucial. <laughs> that is crucial for the recovery so we, aspect. No, we, we will give a shout-out to the Constructor Cons. They, uh, we played them in the grand final each year. They were even a little bit shorthanded this year. Alex Loughton missed the tournament with a broken foot. He didn't quite, didn't quite avoid the couch in his lounge room. Um, we suggested it might be has been itis, but um, he assures that it was not. Uh, but no, it was a lot of fun. We're back. We we won another gold medal, and as we say, it never gets old winning gold. But uh, we kept an eye on the NBA finals, and we were home to watch Game Seven. Well, let's unpack that Game Seven that's just happened. Um, to recap the series, Miami goes three nil up. Boston come back and win the next three, game seven in Boston. And the Miami Heat just get it done, They're winning by the, 20 points. Is there anything that you take away from this series about Boston or my what, – what does this series say more? Is Does it say more about Boston and where they're at or does it say more about Miami? It, it has to say more about Miami, and I know that's not popular opinion, but – how often do we look at the team like we did the Lakers when they were eliminated by the Nuggets and focus our attention on what went wrong at the Lakers or what they need instead of appreciating the greatness of the Nuggets and what Miami have been able to do from the moment they lost their first play-in game to be in the NBA Finals, it's incredible. Um Fifty-six points they average through undrafted players on their roster, and that's, I believe, what they got today in a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, Eric Spolter—I mean, people are going to talk about him for a long time. He's just got to be the best coach in the NBA to take that team, which on paper is not an NBA Finals team, to the NBA Finals is just. Incredible. Finals comes down to 
making and missing shots, um, playing team basketball, getting the rebounds, and making getting easy baskets. So we, we don't typically do stats on this, but I think this is telling for a game seven. Uh, field goal percentage, Miami 49%, Boston 39%. Uh, Three-point percentage, Miami 50%, 14 of 28 uh, Boston, 21%, continuing on their poor shooting form from Game 6. Assist, uh, Miami was a plus 8. Rebounds, Miami was a plus 2. And fast break points, Miami was a plus 9. Um, that's all a recipe for, for winning playoff basketball, in, in my opinion. You look at what Brown and Tatum needed to do. Uh, Brown, 19, 8 and 5. Tatum, 14, 11 and 4 potentially rolled his ankle on the first play of the game. Um, my biggest head-scratcher is I thought Robert Williams makes Boston a much better team when he's on the court. He goes eight points, six rebounds, one assist in 14 minutes with only one foul. And I, I, I just asked the question, why didn't they use him more? I know the philosophy of why, but anyone can see that they – when he's on the court, Boston was a better team. And there will be a lot of questions asked about rotations, timeouts, all the sort of things we've heard. Um, oh, the, the short answer is I don't know. It, it, it seems obvious, doesn't it? Um, they lack athleticism. They probably lack rim presence when he's not on the floor. Um, Al Horford, of course, he doesn't make bad choices and he made some huge plays even in game six. You know, the block uh, at the rim of, I think it was Bam, wasn't it? it going was. up to dunk that thing um, was huge. But oh, it's a it's a, scra- it's a head scratcher for me. And I, you know, I'd go even further and two teams who were clearly, well, let's just say Boston, I don't think in their heart of hearts, Miami even thought they were a championship contender this year. But, why didn't either of those two go out and get another genuine big if they might have to face Nikola Jokic or, or another? Ge- you know, Miami went and got Kevin Love. Boston, there, there were plenty of bigs out there at the trade deadline. That There were plenty on waivers. that They could have picked someone else. It still surprises me that they entered the finals with the rosters that they did. Um, Jimmy Butler ends up with 28, 7, 6 and 3 steals going 12 of 28 from the field. Caleb Martin, who arguably could have been the Eastern Conference MVP, uh, another great performance of 26, 10 and 3. Bam, quite by his own standards, 12, 10 and 7. What this came down to for me in Game 7 was Miami had success throughout this entire series in the zone and Missoula sucked at making any sort of changes to to get easier shots. They were reliant on knocking down three-point shots and Miami was daring them to shoot them and they just weren't making them. Um, And anyone who's played basketball at any half-decent level knows you should be getting the player, the ball, just underneath the foul line, right in that sweet spot. Bam was playing really low in the zone D and yet they just refused to go there. It, it, they wouldn't it, attack. It, it, it was, or even just run a play where you can set a pick on Bam because the guards of Miami were spreading out wider and wider. Like they, they were a good three, four feet 
above the three-point line. So once you have a spread zone like that with such a low base, it opens up the middle so much. Just some sort of action to set a screen on, bam, and flash in a Horford, a Robert Williams, even a Tatum or a Brown to make that mid-range shot. There's just no adjustments to that the entire series, and it's frustrating watching a more talented team just continually make... I. I half blame it on Missoula and I half blame this loss of this series on the players because the players can't be excused by some of the poor lack of defensive execution that they showed. But, yeah, that was a frustration point for me. I agree with all of that. I don't think there's much to add. Um, I I won't delve further into X's and O's. We'll have people falling asleep at the wheel. Um, (laughs) But... Uh, can I tell you a couple of other things that stood out? I'm a, I'm a massive body language guy. I wouldn't be surprised if a story comes out that Jimmy Butler wasn't right for game five and six. He looked either exhausted, something else going on in his world, injured, something. Even as he came back towards the end of the game, I wouldn't be surprised when this is all said and done if we hear a story about what Jimmy Butler was going through uh, towards the end of this series. The other one for me, and we spoke to Jock Landale on our last pod, and he was incredible, and he spoke about remaining ready when he wasn't playing. Duncan Robinson has been incredible this series, especially given where he's come from. He had every right to soot, to moan. You know, I've fallen out of the rotation. Everyone says I'm overpaid. He nearly dragged them over the line in game six to win it on their home floor. He was huge. to to keep them alive. And again, just the role he's playing and the attention that he's taking uh, from one or two defenders every time a screen is set for him. I I just think he's been great. But the the, the one we we had in our run sheet and the one that's going to continually bother me and maybe the story that we do talk about Boston because we'll have more time for Miami is I'm still not sure Jason Tatum's the number one guy in a championship team. Um, yeah, he's got – in the open floor, he's great. His change of direction, his length, he shoots the ball inconsistently. Uh, I'm still not sure he makes great choices. In Even in game six, he had a, an incredible first half. He got on the rim. He got by Jimmy Butler. And then for some reason, unbeknownst to me, he started settling for contested three-point shots. He's one dribble left step back. But, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are talking about who do you put around Brown and Tatum. I'm not sure one of them – I'm not sure they can win a championship with Tatum as your number one or Brown, Tatum as your one and two. I think they need another star if they're genuine. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I've, I've gone one further. Just for clarity right here, I think the only genuine number ones in this league are Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, and Steph Curry. I'll say them again for you. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry. I think those guys can be a number one guy on a championship winning team. I don't disagree. And nothing off the top of my head, I can't add anyone else. I think there could potentially 
in the next year or two, depending on his attitude, you could add Jar to that list, potentially. Potentially. Um, but as it stands currently, uh, I don't think you could add anyone else to that list. I, I see it both ways with Tatum. Um, I think he's afforded the luxury to not play his best basketball at times because he does have a fallback in Jalen Brown. It'd be interesting to see if he was the number one option only without Brown in the team. And then there's the new CBA, which we will touch on briefly, of how this will... We, we, we won't see teams like we're currently seeing teams be built right. ever again. But, but, but even before we touch on the CBA, even with what you said, and everyone seems to be of the consistent belief that Brown and Tatum stay... They re- they rejig around them, but you've just said perhaps is that you think Tatum's better off without Brown and having a lot more depth and absolutely being the distinguishable number one guy. That's what I believe going forward. Um, I think that there will be questions raised around this team, and 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 some of it is based financially on Brown and Tatum both making All NBA. So they're, they're now guaranteed a certain number of uh, level of money, which going into the new CBA makes the depth of the rest of the team around you a lot weaker. Um, so you're almost better off going with the one guy with great role players instead of two guys with lesser role players going forward. It's going to be really hard to distinguish. Mo Dakil talked about Jalen Brown when we spoke to him about his ability or lack of ability to dribble the basketball. Uh, in game seven today, he ended up with eight turnovers. I think he had five in game six. Um, he had went eight of 23 from the field, one of nine from three, and was a minus 17 when he was on the court. You, you know how much I love my sayings, and as the, as the series was unfolding, even in the moments in the games Boston were winning and they stalled, he was turning the ball over, but... You've heard me say it a million times, but I think it's really appropriate, is that in the most important moments, you don't rise to the occasion, you revert to habit. Mm-hmm. That's his habit. He's loose with the ball, he turns it over a lot, and he takes ill-advised shots. If I can contradict ourselves, uh, us for a second, we, we ran a poll. We both had him over Tatum. We I know. both had him over Tatum. Yeah, we did. In we hindsight, did. I think the closer this series has been, and... You can look at both of those guys. You've got two battle-tested finals players at a really young age, which is really rare to find. Um, but I would 100% take Tatum over Brown after yeah, the last I, I, finals. I, I think I've changed my mind as well. I'm very happy to say, um, yeah, and, I'll reserve, and you know what? I'll reserve the right to change it again. Correct. <laughs> uh, the CBA came out, Chris. Um, it did. Shocking, to say the least. Oh, Just, I was amazed. This... I was scratching, literally sitting up in Canada, scratching my head, thinking, why did the owners agree to this? And this is just, it's, why did the players agree to it? So to break it down as simply as possible, um, the CBA is there to curb the, the high spending teams like the Golden State Warriors and the Clippers that we've seen. There's a second salary cap, which is $17.5 million over the tax line. If you go over that, this is what you can't have going forward. You can't have any mid-level exception signings. You uh, can't utilise cash in trades. 
Um, you can't move any first round picks that are uh, draft picks that are seven years away. Uh, and you can't sign any free agents from the buyout market. All that with what we've seen in the last 12 months would mean that the Golden State Warriors wouldn't get DiVincenzo. Milwaukee wouldn't be able to get Joe Ingles. Boston wouldn't be able to get Gallinari. Brooklyn couldn't uh, get Patty again. <laughs> Boston might be happy with that. And Clippard, and the Clippers wouldn't be able to get Wall, Covington or Powell. Um, what is it going to look like going forward? Uh, Bill Simmons probably put it best. It's going to look like a movie of Top Gun. You're going to have your two main stars and a whole bunch of people in the movie whose name you don't probably remember at the end of the day. And, and <laughs> unless you do what we said, where you go the one star and be able to get more depth. And so the way that teams are con- being constructed for championship runs over the past 20 years where guys are taking less money to go to a championship team. It's all those mid-level guys that are going to lose out. The The best players are going to get paid. The uh, lower tier guys are probably going to get more playing time. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting, but it messes not only with the Golden State Warriors and the Clippers who are already the high spending teams, but teams like OKC who have built their futures around draft picks and what they're going to take. If you're going to pay uh, Chet Holgram, you're going to pay Shea Gillis-Alexander, you've still got Josh Giddy, uh, you've got Lou Dort, uh, you've got the Williams uh, brothers who are good mid-level players. The Lakers won't be able to re-sign an Austin Reeves or a Rui Hachimura. Uh, Boston are going to lose a Grant Williams because they can't afford to keep him. It's going to be a really, really interesting off-season of how teams are actually going to be constructed going forward. Even if the owners and the players were crazy enough to agree to this, which they are, sorry, but I just can't see how it got through that it's a change this significant could happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. The, the, I would have thought for something this significant for it to be fair and equitable. If they had a, the only way I see this as being reasonable is if the very last line of this was, and it takes effect in 2028. Correct. It gives or, or time, something teams similar. time to adjust to and, and to build rosters. And, and so the teams that have been responsible, and you mentioned OKC, look at the the investment into the draft the identification of talent that they're about to be penalised for because they won't be able to afford to keep the players they've identified on their own. You know, the last team, as far as I can remember, who's, you know, was, was the Warriors. Um, they drafted the core of their group and retained them, and that's the model that OKC were working towards. But we've seen this happen in real life. This happened in the NBL when they introduced a, a points cap, which was the dumbest thing that the NBL has possibly ever done. It was unfair. It was a strain of trade. This, these are things we said at the time. And what it did is it, it cut out any mid-level veteran player because what teams did with that, that sign a bunch of nine or ten rated players out of ten and then a bunch of kids who were rated as one, two, or three. And all of the mid-level guys like Jacob Holmes, Stephen Hall, um, and when I say mid-level, mid-level salary that aren't rated as a 10 out of 10, they 
were out of a job or found it really, really hard to become employed. And of course, the NBL got rid of that a lot of years ago now when they realised the inequity it created and the unfairness it created to a large proportion of the basketball community. So there's still a part of me that I know the CBAs, I just can't see it not being amended. It, It just has to be amended be interesting you talk about the Warriors and how they've been able to build within. Uh, it's unlikely that Jordan Poole can even stay on their books now. Like That looks like a really tradable piece. Well, there, are always team, there are always teams who might think hey, yeah. there's a positive that's going to come out of this. And the other one is uh, Miami has Gabe Vincent coming out, who's probably worth over $10 million a year now, uh, where Miami probably can't afford to pay for him to stay on the books but now that becomes attractive and you look at someone like this benefits san antonio the most who have stored up money is getting web and yana like for they, four years on a rookie deal on four years on a rookie deal they'll be able to select a solid players to put around them maybe that is a draymond green you know going forward i don't, I don't know but it, it's certainly interesting to see what's going to happen here We'll switch gears going over to the NBL. No, before you do that, oh, we, we need to bring this one up. We, we, well, let's jump before we do that into our Raise Your Game segment, which, which segment which Hoop City love. Yep. And I've only come up with two nominations this week. Yep. Caleb Martin mm-hmm. has been incredible. We, we've given one to Jimmy Butler before, so we'll leave him out of it. I'm nominating you, were though, because one of the parts of this competition is clearly someone who has raised their game or who needs to get into a Hoop City to raise theirs. And I, I watched a game a couple of weeks ago. We, we streamed it back here and it you know, didn't quite get it done and we checked the box score to make sure it was accurate and it was five points, a couple of rebounds. It wasn't quite what we expected of a Mark Worthington game. And then we watched you. Uh, did, did we miss a game winner on, on the weekend? Uh, I, I had a... A shot on my head um, by Cody Ellis to force it into overtime. Then I I, I went for the game winner and airballed it. So oh, that's what it was, right? Yes. Yeah. So so yes. So we're going to either nominate you, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the normal choice. <laughs> you can hand this award to yourself, so you get one for the last couple of weeks, or you can give it to Caleb Martin, who we both agree has been outstanding. Mate, and I'll I've... tell you what: that the only now the thing is the difference here. For the very first time, if you nominate yourself, we might actually be able to provide a voucher for you to actually come into a hoop city <laughs> and you, raise your game. I've never done this before, but um, we're going to give out two uh, for Caleb Martin for raising his game, and for me, <laughs> definitely need to bloody lift. And uh, um, yeah, I I don't know what else to say. But, yeah, I'll, I'll lift, Chris. Don't worry about that. Um, so if anyone who listens to this, join in and watch more of those uh, NBL one game this weekend and expect a big one. Yeah, um, that, that other game that you were talking about, um, I lifted the night before, which probably led to a, a lousy response <laughs> the night after. Um, NBL, mate, um, the Sydney Kings need a new coach. Uh, with Chase Buford out of town. You've heard a name. Um, I don't think it's going to be this person, but you think that Will Weaver might find himself... Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a name I heard. And again, I, I called you and you were pretty quick to say, uh, uh, you yeah, know, but 
if, if I am the Sydney Kings and I'm looking to what has been successful, will Weaver set the table for Chase Buford to come in and, and win those two championships? Um, he's finished up in Paris. He's still got connections to the NBL. Clearly, he brought Chris Golding over. Uh, you know, other rumour is he'll find himself on an NBA bench given the success he's had in Australia and over in Paris now. But yeah, at the very least, if it's not true that he will commit to come, there has to have been a phone call made back to Will Weaver. I think there was a phone call, but I, I doubt that Will will find himself back on an NBL sideline. Do you have a name? I don't at the moment. I don't have a name. Um, you, you think they'll go American again and bring do, someone in with NBA relationships? And it's purely based on the pathway that the Sydney Kings are trying to build as a reputation of being able to get people from the Kings back to the NBA, whether it be... Uh, uh, Does that not work for Deshaun United with Tate. Dean Vickerman? Just as you... Yeah. Deshaun Tate, Xavier Cooks have obviously had, uh, and, and Bowen, who played for him a couple of years as it go as a, as a next star. Um I think multiple teams now have. I think the NBL, as as a general, is a purpose vehicle back to the NBA or to the NBA, and the Next Stars program has definitely provided that as well. I think Sydney will stay with an American coach going forward. Who that is, got no idea. Don't know. Um, I only hope that the assistants get to stay on and continue to learn under a good coach, being Blue yeah. McIntyre. Uh, Kevin Lish, Dan Kickett going forward. So, I now, speaking of Sydney, I've got to give you a pat on the back here. Um, it must have been a month ago on this very podcast, you very strongly told us that DJ Hogue to Sydney to the Sydney Kings was a done deal. And you know, three and a half weeks later, we read breaking news from um, Olgan that uh, DJ Hogue goes to Sydney. Um, a fantastic signing. Um, I wasn't very impressed with some of the commentary around the Cairns Taipans being unable to retain their imports. What this is is very, very simply the Sydney Kings can afford to pay DJ Hogue a lot more than what the Cairns Taipans can. And if anything, again, it reiterates how great the Cairns Taipans are at unearthing Americans introducing them to this league and then in turn to the NBA, think Tory Craig and young players, young Australian players, whether from college or here in our own backyard and giving them the platform they need to have successful uh, NBL careers. I heard the money from Cairns was not that far off from Sydney. So money, money wasn't the biggest issue here. I think exposure and opportunity, once again, Sydney building that pipeline, and I'd, I'd assume that DJ's prerogative is to make it to the NBA. And having played, uh, seen what Xavier Cooks was able to do as a player and the freedom that he had, and seeing that he could potentially have that along with his shot-making ability, and he played some pretty big games in Sydney this year, so I, I assume that he loved playing uh, at the, in the Sydney Stadium, but... I, I'm not surprised by it. Uh, and like you said, don't be disheartened, Taipans fan. What you've got up there is a fantastic coach with a fantastic eye for talent, uh, the same as what Aaron Fern was for an eye for talent, whether that be Glidden, Sobey, the list goes on. Um, 
whether or not the Taipans ever win a championship, I don't know. But the one thing you could almost guarantee from the Taipans is they'll put a competitive team on the court and they'll play their asses off and they'll find new imports that will fit the role of what they need. Brisbane did the right thing in finding a point guard to play next to Sobi that is a pass-first guard. Um, Sydney's done the right thing in trying to fill a massive size gap that was Xavier Cooks by bringing in Hogue. Uh, Perth did what they need to do by getting Keanu Pinder uh, out of Cairns with a fantastic offer for him to come home and play in front of fe- uh, friends and family. The Taipans will be okay. They'll find a way to get back and be competitive again. Uh, the other big news coming out is Delhi's coming back to Melbourne United after his year stint with Sacramento. Um, what do you think of that signing with the personnel that they already have in place of bringing Delhi back in? I, I know he took a big pay cut and left a lot of money on the table potentially to remain at Sacramento in the same role as he had this year. My answer in a situation like this is it depends on what they paid him. Uh, if they paid him sort of franchise player salary, then they probably could have gotten an import who can give you 20 points and six assists a game for cheaper. As a culture guy, there's never any question that Delhi will be great in the locker room. He'll be a great educator for the young players, but I still find it hard to think that a team with an all-local backcourt can win a championship. So Chris Golding is now in his early mid-30s, uh, as is Daly. Uh, Shay Ely, uh, we hope, gets through this season um, and has had an incredible two or three years, underrated until he wasn't, and uh, Flynn Cameron comes in. There's your backcourt. I don't see a Bryce Cotton. I don't see a Jalen Adams. I don't see a guy that when the game's on the line like it was for United two years ago against the Jack Jumpers that you can put the ball in their hand and say, go get me a bucket. That's one thing Daly's not, and it's one thing I just think United are lacking. They, they don't have that player in their backcourt. Um, they'll get an import three. It's, it's their only remaining spot. What they have afforded themselves the luxury of doing is having incredible insurance against injury in any position. They'll have two import spots up their sleeves. Um, I'm fascinated to see how Huck Porty is when he comes back. Fascinated to see how Travers, and even Travers again, that oh, they don't have much from the perimeter, United. I, I, I just think teams are going to shrink the floor on the defensive end against them and challenge Shea, Flynn, Daly, Travers, Huck Porty, even JLA. If you can beat me at the three, mate, beat me there. It just, I just don't quite think they've got it right yet. Time will tell on that one. Uh, we're going to switch gears over to the WNBA before we finish on the WNBL. Um, and I'll give you time to bring up your first WNBA player rankings. Uh, I saw Alana hey, well, had a fantastic game the other day. She's had a really good start to the season. What, what are your power rankings so far? Yeah, look, I'll go, I just thought it was important. That, you know, we received such great feedback from the power rankings. You know, we discussed and I posted every couple of weeks about, and, and we followed the Aussies in the NBA and we said how incredible it was to have 
11 Aussies in the NBA. I mean, to have seven in the WNBA is just as special. So number one's Ezzie McBeggish. She's been incredible um, starting the year with Seattle. Um, 12 and 8 a game off the top of my head and a really significant role. Alana, as I say this, I'm, not, no one's watching this. I am actually shaking my head, the fact that she didn't make that Opal squad. But uh, career double, first career double-double the other night uh, in Chicago led her, led her team to a big win. Christy Wallace, I think, has been exceptional. Her toughness has been great. Rebecca Allen, who switched teams, is at uh, Connecticut now. She's Her length on both ends of the floor and her ability to shoot the three uh, she's fitting really well there, and the team's already probably exceeding expectations. I think they, you know, most people didn't expect them to win so early. Sammy Wickham, Kayla George, and uh, and Jade Melbourne getting minutes already early on in her WNBA career. But uh, we're going to keep an eye on those seven girls. We're going to be interested to see if any other Aussie girls get an opportunity to play in the WNBA this season. Um, but as it sits right now, really, if you follow women's basketball, um, get, stream the WNBA games, watch Ezzy, watch Alana, Christy, Beck Allen. We've got some incredible players over there in the WNBA. Closer to home, the WNBL. Um, I guess the big move is Guy Malloy's coming back into the WNBL and with the Sydney Flames going forward, which has led to a bit of a domino effect of free agents falling. Uh, first off, Huge congrats to Guy coming back. Um, I think the way that he left with the championship with the Boomers a couple of years ago, uh, if you ever watched the documentary series that was made from it, you could tell that the players just loved playing for him. And that's so evident by the fact that Kayla George, who's coming off the WNBL MVP, uh, has signed with Sydney to play under Guy again. And Tess Madgen, the Opals captain, has left the Boomers to play under Guy Malloy again. Um you're a little bit closer to home to this, Chris. Your thoughts on yeah, it? Yeah, I, I just think it, it demonstrates, unless there are millions of dollars involved, it, it demonstrates how strong the player-coach relationship can be. And I see no problem uh, with any player, especially someone like Tess, I suppose, who wants to ensure she remains in that Opal squad, Kayla the same, to give themselves the best opportunity to not only make the team but to prepare to be at their best when the major tournaments come around. So great signing by the Sydney Flames. Uh, the Boomers, to their credit, they've gone and bought in Keely Froling, which I think is an incredible signature. And uh, Sarah Blitzarves. Uh, Sarah Blitzarves as well. So they've moved reasonably quickly as well to to fill in those gaps. It's, it's a really interesting WNBL off-season as well. Just like the NBL, I think we're going to have a lot of fun and I'm very happy to not spend too much time on it now. Let's wait for the dust to settle. Let's wait to see full rosters and we'll spend one of these with a couple of beers picking them apart. Uh, my, 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 my bigger thing, though, before we do get off the WNBL... Oh, no, we still got a big topic on the WNBL. Yeah, it, it's so disappointing to see the Perth links up for sale. Uh, you know, community-owned club that is just unwilling to lose money anymore. Um, they're talking about half-million-dollar-a-year losses. I'd be amazed if it was that. If it is, it's poor management. Um, it, it might be closer to a quarter of a million dollars, but I haven't seen the book. So my, I guess my question and, and what really digs at me is that, yeah, what is it? it? 
we, is, is it poor management of clubs? Is it poor product, which I don't believe it to be? Is it people can't be bothered? Is it poor scheduling? You know, why can't we get people to walk in the door to an NBL game? Why can't we get them to buy WNBL memberships? And I, I know that some people do, but I'm talking the masses now. What's the next step? Well, I liken it to where the NBL was before Larry Kesselman, um, where we knew that there was a good product there. Um, but we always used to be mentioned as the best kept secret. Like we knew that the value was there, but no one knew about it. And I feel the WNBL for, for decades has been a fantastic product that no one's known about at the end of the day. So what does that look like? I mean, ideally, it would be fantastic if Larry and his team did take over the WNBL and was able to put more money into marketing, not only the teams, but individuals, make you know the Tess Magins, the Keely Frolings, the household names, uh, Sam Whitcomb over here in Perth. Um, I think moving forward, they just need someone that is willing, and, and this is not reinventing the wheel. We've seen it with the A-League. They needed someone to invest money into it to help promote the game more um, when it's at a governance level of a BWA, BA and all that, they can only market it so much, but they're reaching the masses that already know about it. We need the game to be reached to people that don't know about it. Uh, going Stop. forward, and- Couldn't agree more. It was a loaded question. That's exactly what we need. Um, we need more people committed to full-time roles to grow the game. We need to invest into it. Uh, before we reap the benefit of it. And, you know, when Larry owned the NBL or bought the NBL, it cost him a lot of money for the first few years. An owner, whether it's Larry or someone else, to put in that money and and the courage for Basketball Australia to relinquish the controlling interest but hopefully retain a small percentage where we still retain FIBA accreditation, we can still enter all the tournament, all those sorts of things. So we hope that, that owner's out there. I know there are discussions going on. Um, we hope that there's a Western Australian-based owner who sees that it's an undervalued product and buys the Perth Lynx and that those girls have a job to walk into and that those who have followed it uh, have the same team to follow this year coming up and into the future. Well, I know the West Australian netball team, the Fever, had the likely saviour of Gina Reinhardt, well, Nepal Australia did in Gina Reinhardt, and she's a West Australian. Maybe someone of that nature would be fantastic. If I could liken it to AFLW, obviously something close to me that I've been able to see over the years, um, AFLW has the product in place now, but it's been supported by a mega machine that is the AFL uh, with lots of money. But within but also and also loses money annually still correct but what what going on a weekly basis to the games like I have for a little bit now you can see the growth of the game coming through right. and not only the growth of the game the growth of the talent that have genuinely have a pathway now like basketball's always had the pathway to be able to make it to the WNBL if you're good enough it just needs the exposure to come with it. And that's something that the AFLW has been afforded is the exposure versus the WNBL. 
And I think the, the WNBL is years and generations, in fact, ahead of the AFL in that regard because our girls have grown up playing the game Correct. and they've seen the generations playing. The, the AFL needed to invest into it. Basketball Australia or whoever buys it need to invest into the promotion of it. It's hard to sell a secret. The WNBL at the moment is a secret and we should be shouting from the rooftops. So uh, there's going to be a lot lot happening in this space, no doubt, in the coming weeks and months and uh, we'll be all over it. That's about it, mate. Um, I'd like to thank our friends at Hoop City again. Don't forget to visit them at hoopcity.com.au. Chris, another good chat, mate. Uh, Bring on game one, Denver versus Miami and... uh, Closer to home. Looking forward to having you over in the West here in the next uh, week and a half. Doing doing our first podcast side by side. I can't wait. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. See you, mate.